Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors um, on staff here, and I have the privilege of uh, preaching this morning while Scott is traveling back from Zambia. And if you haven't guessed, our theme for today is freedom. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. Uh, but before we get in there, I want, uh, I want you to think about a time in your life when you've experienced some type of freedom, whether that's freedom that you personally experienced or freedom that maybe somebody close to you experienced and you were just able uh, to witness. So, you know, when you hear that word freedom, what, what comes to mind? I think for some of us, we're going to go back to the age of 16 when we got our driver's license, and that meant freedom for us, right? We could finally leave the house. We can go pick up our date without having our mom or our dad be the chauffeur. We can go hang out with our friends. We can go to a movie. We were free, all right? Some of us might think of the time when we graduated high school, we turned 18, and we could finally move out of our parents' house. That was like ultimate freedom. Mom and dad, I'm an adult. I can do what I want. For some of us, we're going to think about when we graduated college and we were done with school and we're like, no more homework, that's freedom. Some of us might think a little bit deeper about freedom. Uh, For you, maybe freedom was a moment that you got the call from the doctor saying the treatment worked, you know, good news, the the cancer's gone, you're you're cancer-free. And for you, that was like, I'm free. For other people, maybe... Freedom for you is walking out of jail and not living life behind bars anymore. Or maybe freedom for you was experiencing um, your child or your spouse or a cousin or somebody close to you step out of prison for the first time and and experience life outside of prison walls. Um, For me, when I think of the word freedom, I think of my son Landon, this cute little guy right here. Um, I think of his story, and I think of how um, he was set free from his addiction to heroin. And it sounds crazy because um, on July 25th, he's only going to be 10 months old. Yet when he was born, he was born enslaved to and addicted to heroin. Not by his choice, but because when he was in his birth mother's womb, um, he was exposed to that drug, and as a result, uh, he was addicted to it. And um, my wife and I have the, off, uh, the amazing privilege of adopting him, and uh, we were in the delivery room when he was actually born, and that was uh, crazy uh, to experience a human coming out of another human, and it was, it was, you know, it was just mind-blowing. And when he came out, my wife and I, you know, we, we looked at him, and, and you couldn't tell that there was necessarily anything, quote, wrong with him. I mean, he just looked like a normal baby, But as the hours went by, um, some of the withdrawal symptoms started to appear. And so for the next month of his life, uh, he spent the next four weeks of his life in the NICU down in Phoenix detoxing from this drug. And he was hooked up to these cables and these monitors and these pumps. And, and, um, you know, it, it broke my heart. It was a sad thing to experience. And my wife stayed down there with him for the first month of his life. I had to come back here to take care of our other son and to work. And I would go down and visit whenever I was able to. And I remember going down there one, one time specifically and holding him and thinking to myself, you know, just holding this little tiny peanut in my arms and thinking, he's not free. You know, he's not free to just be a newborn baby. He's hooked up to these monitors. You can only walk like a foot or two away from his little NICU cubicle thing, whatever you call those. 
You know, he, like he just, he wasn't free. He was enslaved to this drug. His body was longing for it. And when his body wanted a hit of, of, of that drug, he would start to shake uncontrollably. Some of you who are nurses who have experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. He, he would shake and, and, and uh, tense up. And his cries, the only thing I could really compare it to is if you've ever heard the sound of a dying rabbit. I mean, just that high-pitched squeal. It was like you could hear the pain trying to escape from his body. And he would just let out these horrific cries. And that broke my heart. And I remember thinking, he's not free. The only time that he would experience relief was when the nurse would come in and give him his dose of morphine. Every three hours for a month, he would receive morphine. And finally, it got to the point where they would lower the dosage enough to where he was finally off of morphine. And it was only when every trace and every ounce of that drug had left his system that he was finally free. You know, free to be a child. So freedom for Landon meant the start of a new life. And that's really what freedom is all about. Freedom is life. Freedom is the start of a new life. And that's what um, we're going to be looking at today, this idea of freedom, because freedom gives us the ability to live life the way that God intended us to live. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and flip open to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be there in just a minute. Um, I was given the task of preaching Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 5, 15, and that is a very large chunk of Scripture. So I'm going to summarize the last part of chapter 4, and then we're going to dive deep into chapter 5. But the last part of chapter 4, Paul draws on this this familiar story from the Old Testament of Abraham. And uh, he uses Abraham and the birth of Abraham's... um, two sons. Abraham had more than two sons, but he focuses in on two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And he says, basically, in in a sense, um, these two sons represent two covenants, two agreements, two conditions of life, slavery and freedom. So here's kind of a chart to help us uh, visualize this. So how do we get into the state of slavery? By taking matters into our own hands. If you know the story of how Ishmael was born, Sarah and Abraham got tired of waiting for God to fulfill his promise. So Abraham ends up having a child with um, their slave, Hagar. Ishmael is born. And Paul says Ishmael kind of represents the slavery category. When we take matters into our own hands, we end up in slavery. Why? Because it requires work. It requires us to work out the promise that God had made in our own strength. That leads to slavery. It has the mindset, it has the mentality that says, I can do it. God can't. You know, for Abraham and Sarah, they got tired of waiting. Like, God, you made this promise, but apparently you're not coming through on it. Apparently you can't do it. So I can. I'll take matters into my own hands. That's the slavery side. Then we have the freedom side. This takes trust in God's promise. So Isaac was the promised son. Isaac was born inside of God's promise. Ishmael was born outside of God's promise. Outside of God's promise, slavery. Inside of God's promise, freedom. This requires trust in God's promise. It requires faith, believing, God, you can do this, right? It has the mindset that says, God can, I can't. God, you can do this. I believe, I trust that you alone can do this. I realize my inadequacies. I realize I 
can't do this. So Paul uses this story from, um, from the Old Testament to kind of set us up for our big idea. And he's telling the Galatian church, he says, look, you guys belong in this category. You belong inside of God's promise. You belong in the freedom that Jesus offers. So don't go back to this state of slavery. So our big idea for today, what will carry us into chapter 5, is this. I can leads to slavery. God can leads to freedom. So this idea that, that says, I can do it, right? When, when pride enters the picture, when we start thinking, hey, I can add to what God has done, that leads us into a state of slavery. Whereas faith and humility, the mindset that says, God, I can't do it, but I believe you can, God can, leads to freedom. We'll kind of flesh that out as we continue on here. So for four chapters, chapters one through four, Paul repeatedly pounds into the Galatians, hey, this idea that you cannot add to what God has done. This is what we've been talking about this whole summer. It's the Jesus plus nothing gospel. You can add nothing to what Jesus has done. It's Jesus alone that saves. So for four chapters, he's pounding that into the Galatians. And now at the start of chapter five, he's going to make a little bit of a shift. And we're going to move into more of the application So because Jesus alone saves us, this is how we should begin to live life. Chapter 5, verse 1, in freedom. So what we're going to do, chapter 5, we're going to break into four chunks. We're going to look at um, each little chunk and pull one truth about our freedom and talk about that. Because we have to remember that freedom means living life the way that God intended us to live. And I think it's important that we, that we believe these truths and that we live out these truths because Satan is attacking us in this area of our freedom. You know, think back to the garden for a minute. God in his goodness created everything that Adam and Eve could ever want or need. He said, this is good, this is perfect, live in this. And Adam and Eve were living in perfect freedom with God and with each other. They were living life the way that God had intended them to live. And then Satan shows up on the scene. He deceives Adam and Eve, right? He just twists a couple words. He drops a couple lies. And he gets Adam and Eve to believe that God really can't do what he says he's going to do. So they take matters into their own hands. They partake of the fruit. The one thing that God said, look, you can have all this, just don't eat the, from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They eat from the, not, from the tree of, the, uh, of, of good and evil. And in that moment, sin enters the world and their freedom is broken. Their relationship is broken. They're no longer living life the way that God intended them to live. And that's exactly where Satan wanted them. Enslaved now to their own desires. That's exactly where he wanted them and where he wants us. So it's vital that we understand these truths about our freedom so that when Satan attacks us, we can stand firm against those attacks. So uh, chapter 5 Verse 1. You can follow along on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. Paul writes and he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I wish we could spend all day just on this one verse, but this is the, this is the first little chunk, and this is the first truth that we discover about our freedom. And that is that freedom comes at a cost. Freedom comes at a cost. You know, for Landon, 
The cost of freedom was a month spent in the hospital detoxing from these drugs, hooked up to wires and monitors. That, that's what it cost him for his freedom. The freedom that Scripture talks about cost Jesus his life. And let us not forget the significance of that. The fact that it cost God his only son to purchase our freedom. We cannot forget that truth. And we have to ask, you know, why, Jesus, why did you have to give up your life? Like, what did you set us free from? Well, in a word, sin. Sin and all of its consequences. You know, going back to the garden, what does sin do? It separates us from God. And when we are separated from God, we enter into a state of life that we were never created to be in. You know, this, this, this past week, um, well, last week, I was in uh, New Mexico with my family uh, at family camp. And it was at Glorietta. Some of you guys have been there. Um, in the middle of their campus is this gigantic lake, and there's this channel that feeds into the lake. And in that channel, it's all full of, like, minnows and crawdads and, you know, all those fun things to catch for little kids. So Xander loved it. He's three. He's like, let's go catch these crawdads. So we went down there. And um, after a couple of, uh, of attempts, I actually was able to catch one, and I had this little minnow in my hand. And eventually, you know, all the water trickled out of my fingers, and this, this little minnow is flopping in my hand, struggling to survive, struggling to breathe. Why? Because I, I took him out of the, the place where he was created to live. I took him out of his environment that he was created to live in, and all of a sudden, he's struggling. I thought to myself... Like a fish living out of water is like a man trying to live apart from God. You know, it's, it's not good. It's not what we were created for. Things like shame and guilt and fear and insecurity and loneliness and bitterness. Those were things that, that we weren't designed to experience. Those are weights that we were never designed to carry. That's why they feel so crushing when we experience those things. And Paul is reminding the church, and he's reminding us that it was Jesus that carried that weight for us. He was the one that took the load of sin off of our back and has freed us so that we could finally start living life the way that God intended us to live it. He chose to be crucified. He chose to be killed so that we could be set free. It cost him his life. Let us never, ever, ever forget that. Because when we do, we begin to take advantage of the freedom that we have in him. You know, I, I can't help but think that um, there might be somebody in this room who has yet to experience the freedom that Jesus offers. I'm not so naive as to think that just because, and I don't hope this doesn't come off as mean, but just because you're sitting here in church on a Sunday that you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You know, there might be somebody here today who's here for the first time that is feeling the crushing weight of that loneliness, of that bitterness, the guilt of your sin. You're feeling that the crushing weight of that, and you're just, I just want freedom from that. The answer isn't what you can do. The answer is found in Jesus alone. So if you're here today and you want to experience that freedom that comes through Jesus, it takes humility. It takes recognizing, God, it's my sin that's keeping me from you. It's my sin that's keeping me from that relationship that you intended me to be in with you. 
And it takes humility for you to just come before him and say, God, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. I'm tired of running. I'm, try- I'm tired of carrying this weight on my own. I surrender it over to you. I believe, Jesus, that you were the one that, that paid the penalty for my sin. And when you come to him with that kind of repentant heart, seeking him, he promises new life for us. He takes us from a state of slavery to a state of sonship. He adopts us into our family. And as children of God, we are, we are free now to live the life that he intended us to live. So I encourage you, don't wait till the end of the message. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come, to come forward. But just right where you're at, if God is stirring in your heart, you know, I'm not trying to manipulate your emotions to make you make a decision. It's not on me to save anybody. It is the work of God that does this. So right where you're sitting this morning, you can just cry out to him. It's not about a prayer. Prayers don't save us. Jesus saves us. So your prayer this morning might just be, Jesus, I'm done running. Have it all. And in that moment, God adopts you into his family. And no, it's not butterflies and cupcakes for the rest of your life. You know, it's, it's a struggle. You will be persecuted. You will have hardship. But he promises to be with us in the midst of that. That's freedom. That's living life the way that we were intended to. So if that's you, I encourage you, place your faith in Jesus. Make today the day of salvation for you. And then tell somebody about it. There's going to be prayer partners up here at the front after the service. We want to celebrate that. So come up here and receive prayer from them. You can grab me, one of the other pastors. You can grab Jamie, any one of the band members, and let us know about that because we want to celebrate that moment with you. Freedom comes at a cost. Let us not forget that because when we do, we take advantage of it. You know, I never really appreciated the freedom I have as an American until my brother went overseas, spent a year in Iraq, and had his truck blown up by an IED and have it burned to the ground. You know, like thankfully he was able to jump out and he was okay, but that, that was a humbling reminder of what it costs some people for us to live in a free country. How much more when I think of Jesus and the sacrifice he made should I be humbled at that? So Paul continues on now. Verse 2 through 6. He says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, this is huge, by faith we ourselves eagerly wait For the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So here we see our second truth about our freedom, and that is that a life of freedom is a life of faith. A life of freedom is a life of faith. Now, Paul is reminding the church that if they accept circumcision, um, Jesus actually means nothing to them. Why? Because circumcision stood for something. You know, circumcision in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. We know that Paul even had Timothy circumcised so that they could reach more people for the gospel. So Paul's not attacking the act of circumcision. Rather, he's attacking the theology behind the circumcision. He's attacking the why. Why did these people want to get circumcised? Because they were beginning to believe that what they could do 
could contribute to or add to their righteousness. They were starting to think that they needed Jesus plus just a little bit of law sprinkled on top. Paul's like, no, that's actually not how it works. So in verse 3 and 4, he's telling the Galatians that if they listen to these Judaizers, these people who are saying that you need to be circumcised in order to be made right with God, you're actually going to be removing yourself from the grace that's extended through Jesus, and you're going to be placing yourself under the full weight of the law. Because it's not a buffet line where you can just say, oh, I like this law, so I'll take that one. And I like this one, I'll take that one, but I'll, I'll avoid the rest. Paul reminds them, no, if you accept circumcision, you're accepting the theology behind the circumcision, which says that you can make yourself right before God. So you're placing yourself under the full weight of the law, and you can't bear that weight. Only Jesus could. So trust in him. And he's constantly pointing them back to Jesus. So then in verse 5, he makes this point. He says, it's by faith that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. It is by our trust in God. It's by believing that there is coming a day that God will make us perfectly right. Because the reality is we still live in a sinful world. We still deal with brokenness. So we will not experience our freedom to its fullness until we enter into heaven. And Paul is reminding them, what you do does not get you to that state any faster. No, it's us waiting eagerly by faith for God to make us perfectly right, for God to bring us into that state of freedom. So eagerly wait in faith on God to complete the work. Don't think that you can speed up the process by what you do. So by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, faith is such an intricate part of our freedom because faith requires humility. We already kind of talked about this. It's this mindset that says, I can't do it, but God, I believe you can. The opposite of that is pride. I can do it. And faith requires humility. A life of freedom is really a life of faith. Now Paul continues on verse 7 through 12. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. That's some strong words from Paul. Okay, that, that can make an interesting um, dinnertime conversation tonight if you sit down with your family and talk about this. All right? But our third truth that we find about our freedom is this, that even a little I can contaminates our freedom. Just a little bit of pride, just a little bit of legalism, just a little bit of that mindset that says, I can add to what God has done. Even just a little bit of that contaminates our freedom. You know, verse 7 in this is big for us because um, it shows us that freedom doesn't lead to license. Freedom doesn't lead to this idea that we can just do whatever we want and live life however we want. Freedom doesn't mean that we can openly disobey God. Freedom means the opposite. Freedom means that we can finally obey God the way that we were intended to. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who stepped in and stopped you from living in the freedom that God intended you to live in? 
Who's putting this weight back on you? Saying you were running well, who hindered you from this? Freedom means that we can finally obey God the way that we were intended to. And then in verse 9, he drops this little proverb right in the midst of his rant. And he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So if you've ever baked uh, bread specifically, you know that it just takes a little bit of yeast to work its way through the whole entire loaf. Paul's saying in the very same way, it only takes a little bit of pride, only a little bit of legalism to work its way through the gospel, contaminating the gospel and in turn contaminating our freedom. And Paul is teaching them and he's teaching us just how much a seemingly little thing, how much damage just this little seemingly thing can do. You know, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. It's just circumcision. Like, Paul, why, why is this such a big deal? I don't understand. No, it's a huge deal. Because a contaminated gospel is no gospel at all. It doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to condemnation. You know, Satan is out to attack us in this area. He wants us to, to believe that we really can add to what God has done. And he knows that it doesn't take much to contaminate the gospel. As a matter of fact, it only takes one word. You know, if we look at this passage from John 14, say Jesus is the way, compare that with Jesus is a way. You just substitute that one word. You just add in one letter right here. This is the difference between God can and I can. This is the difference between slavery and freedom. It doesn't take much to contaminate the gospel. Paul realizes that. So that's why he uses such strong words in this. Because he doesn't want the church in Galatia to believe that, hey, it's just a small little thing. Jesus plus something is a big thing because Jesus plus something is not the gospel. It's just Jesus. And he's reminding them over and over and over again about this. And then Paul gives a strong warning that there is a penalty for altering or contaminating the gospel. And that's why it's vital that we protect against this. That we don't fall into the temptation to start believing that Jesus plus something is the gospel. No, it's Jesus plus nothing. I know some of you guys who have been here week in and week out are probably sick of the, the pastors who are preaching saying this. That you know, Okay, I get it. It's Jesus plus nothing. Okay, we say we get it on Sunday, but come Monday, man, we Jesus plus something. So we have to continually remind ourselves that it's Jesus plus nothing. And Paul keeps saying this. Just even a little bit of that I can, just a little bit of that pride contaminates our freedom. So we need to be on guard against that. Our last chunk of scripture that we'll look at. Paul continues on. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In this fourth chunk of scripture, we discover this, that freedom leads to love. Freedom leads to love. Again, freedom isn't about doing whatever you want. It's about living life the way that God intended us to live it. Loving him and loving others. And it's Jesus who sets us free from ourselves so that we can celebrate and serve and love the people around us. So if you're sitting here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've been set free to make much of the person sitting next to you. You know, how are you doing at that? Husbands, how are we doing at that with our wives? 
fathers, with our kids. You know, how well are we living in the freedom that God offers us through Jesus? Jesus is the only one who can free us from ourselves so that we can love others more than ourselves. I've been meditating on that for, for this past week, and, and, and this, this is a hard one. You know, Jesus is the only one who can free us from ourselves so that we can love others more than ourselves. Because let's all admit, we love ourselves very well. All right? I, I, you guys know this. Hey, Jesus is the only one who can bring us to a place where we can say, I actually love that person more than I love myself. He, is, he alone is the one that can bring us to that place. And Paul reminds us about that. And he tells the church, look, if you really want to fulfill the law, you cannot do it by taking matters into your own hands. You cannot do it through circumcision. Rather, if you want to fulfill the law, love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the catch. The only way to love your neighbor as yourself is to experience the freedom that Jesus offers because he alone is the one that frees us from ourselves so that we can love other people more than ourselves. That's hard. That's challenging. It's easy to stand here and say that. It's a whole other thing to live that out. We've been set free to make much of the people sitting next to us. So church, how well are we doing that? Freedom leads to love. You know, before we jump into our next steps, um, I want to go back to the story of Landon just for a second. Um, I think I've already kind of revealed that, you know, as a father, my heart broke when I saw him in that condition that I knew he was not supposed to be in. That, that crushed me, that, that broke me. You know, I, I can't even imagine what I would feel, what I would be going through if Landon someday decided to go back to using heroin. You know, to, to be freed from this enslaving drug only to go back to it. That, that would crush me. And, and I think the heart of God is, is the same. You know, when he sees his children freed from the shackles of slavery, of, of sin, only to step back into them, you know, I, I think that crushes his heart the same way that it would crush mine if I saw land and start using heroin again. For freedom, Christ has set us free let us walk in that freedom and not go back to the chains and the slavery of sin. And the only way that we fight against that is by fixing our eyes on Jesus and remembering what he did. Just like what we're saying, we just want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to believe that he is enough. We don't want to take matters into our own hands. We don't want to think that what we do, no matter how good it is, our tithing, our church attendance, our, the amount of Greek or Hebrew that we know, none of that, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but, but when it comes to earning our righteousness, it doesn't add anything to it. It's just Jesus. Let's fix our hearts on him. Let's believe that he is enough. And let's remember, man, when we step back into that place of slavery, it breaks his heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want to break the heart of God. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want him to, 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 to be disappointed. I, I, don't, I don't want to, I don't, because I, I think of how much he loves me. I think of the cross and, and how he demonstrated his love for me at the cross. You know, I want to come to him with humility when I make mistakes, when I start walking back into that state of slavery and just say, God, take this from me. So I need people around me to keep me accountable. Do you have those people in your life? 
to keep you accountable, when they start seeing you walk back into that state of slavery, that they can say, hey man, you're going down the wrong path. Fix your eyes on Jesus again. So just kind of be thinking about that as we finish up with these uh, next steps and as the band comes out to, to sing. Um, you know, you can really use that last song <clears throat> as a chance to respond to what God might be doing in your heart. So let's close with these next steps. These are just simple ways that we can apply uh, this message. This takes it really from our head to our hearts to our hands um, so that it's not just words that we hear. So the first next step that we have is to honestly ask yourself, have I accepted the freedom that Jesus offers? Again, don't think just because you have a good church attendance record or because you attend home group or because you tithe that you're living in the freedom that God offers. Ask yourself, am I really, have I accepted the freedom that Jesus offers? This is another way of saying, have you placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? If yes, then thank him daily this week for sacrificing his life for your freedom. And just have that grateful, thankful heart. Jesus, thank you for what it costs you to purchase my freedom. I don't want to take advantage of that. So just thank him daily for the next seven days and develop that heart of gratitude. If you say no, like I don't really get this whole Jesus thing, I don't understand church, um, that, that's okay. We're still here to love you, but I want to challenge you to spend some time identifying what is keeping you back from trusting in him. You know, was there a, a time in your life where maybe, um, I don't know, somebody in the church burned you or... or, or the church itself uh, burns you and it just left a sour taste in your mouth. And now every time you think about church or Jesus, you just think, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. You know, is there a specific moment in your life? Maybe you had an earthly father who abused you and you think, you know, if my earthly father abused me, like that's, that's how my heavenly father will treat me and I don't want that. So just spend some time this week identifying what is it that's keeping me back from really trusting in Jesus, and then spend some time talking about that with somebody close to you, a spouse, maybe the person who invited you to church here today. You know, have a meal and, and, and talk about this kind of stuff. I just challenge you, think about it. What is really keeping me back from living in the freedom that God offers me through Jesus? So that was the first one. The second step, evaluate how you are using your freedom to live out life. You know, are you using your freedom to serve yourself or to serve others? Are you, are, you, are you really just, hey, I'm just indulging in, in all of these fleeting pleasures that in 50, 100 years from now aren't really going to matter? Am I using my freedom to serve myself? Or am I, do I recognize that I've been set free from myself to make much of the people next to me? Am I serving my neighbor? Am I serving the people I'm sitting next to you? This is something that only you can really answer. So just evaluate, search your heart. And then if something needs to be changed, ask yourself, what changes need to be made? You know, do I need to rearrange my schedule a little bit more so that I can serve these other people? Again, not because our serving adds to what Jesus has done, but because we recognize I've been freed from my selfishness so that I can serve others. This is a blessing. This is an opportunity for me to serve other people. So that was the second one. This third one ties into this, and it moves really from our head and our hearts into our hands so that we can be the church here in Prescott. But the third one, you know, what is one practical step that you can take to serve others this week? Just what's one practical thing that you can do to serve somebody in your life this week, whether that be a spouse, a neighbor, a coworker, an employee, 
Just what's one practical thing that you can do to serve somebody this week? For freedom Christ has set us free. Let us not forget that as we leave this place this morning and seek to serve others. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for uh, your goodness towards us. Um, Lord, we thank you for the freedom that's offered to us through Christ alone. God, help us to fight against the attacks from Satan. God, he wants us to believe that we can add to what Jesus has done. He wants us to think that we can take matters into our own hands. But Lord, we know that that just leads, leads uh, into a state of slavery, into a place that we were not created to be in. So Lord, help us to fix our hearts and our minds on Jesus and what he has done for us. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today who has not experienced the freedom in Jesus, that they would come to you with complete faith, surrendering over their sins, surrendering over those those obstacles that are keeping them from you, and that they would just trust and believe and begin living by faith. That, 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 That God, you alone are the one that saves us and that frees us. I mean, we taste and see just how good you are and develop a hunger for more of you. So God, be at work even in these next few moments as we sing out to you. We surrender it over to you. We ask that you would just do a mighty work in all of our hearts. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.